Uh, but I'm excited uh, to preach you. I appreciate you this morning. If I haven't met you, uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Banner Church. And this is really, uh, this is like the message uh, that preachers wait for. This, we've been going through this series on Daniel and the lion, or Daniel, and we've been speaking each week. And this week is Daniel in the lion's den. And this is really interesting for me. And I got to be honest, I kind of went into this week like, yeah, it's Daniel in the lion's den. Like this is like the softball of, uh, of messages sometimes, right? It's like, yeah, just, just like be faithful and God will rescue. And it's like this really great thing. Cause I, I did youth. I know how to really like preach that one. Right. And really like really get after it. Um, but I really wrestled with it this morning on, on this idea of Daniel in the lion's den and what that really means for you and I. Because every week that we've been going through this series, we've been talking about not only how this applies, all these principles and the character of Daniel, how it applies to Daniel, but what does that mean for you and I as we're studying scripture? What does it say about character? What does it say about Daniel? And that's why we've been talking about this idea and how to live an uncompromising life, specifically in an age of relativism, right? How to live uncompromising. And so I was wrestling through this and wrestling through this idea. And so I'm ready to preach this morning, but I want to invite you. I'm going to invite you to be a part Mostly because I spent some time in the South this month and I thought, man, there's some things I'm not, I'm not down with the South. But the South knows how to church, right? Like a little bit. Like they know how to get down. Christian knows. They know how to get down. And I, I appreciate that. So I'm going to invite you to let's just have like, let, let's respond to one another. I'll try to preach okay, and you guys, you know, say like, yeah, or, you know, we can have like a back and forth. You can respond to things. You're not going to like weird me out. But yeah, let's not get like crazy, you know. <laughs> uh, but I'm excited. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning to Daniel 6? And uh, we're going to be specifically in there. I'm going to have some of the scriptures on the screen. So if you didn't bring your Bible, don't worry. Uh, but uh, if you did, open it. And if you want a Bible and you don't have one, at the end of service, let me know and I will get you one. Also, if you like to take notes, but you don't have anything to take notes on, we have these really cool uh, Love This Town notepads. My wife has one right there. Does anyone want one of these? Anyone that wants to take notes? Bridget, you made them. <laughs> Perfect. Bridget, you can have that one. Or whichever one Katie's going to run. If you want one, raise your hand and my adorable wife will come bring you one. Um, so I was really thinking through Daniel 6 and uh, the idea that popped into my brain and the question, and I want to see kind of a raise of hands. I, we'll, we'll see how many of us. How many of you guys have ever had a bad day, right? Yeah, see, preachers ask those questions because we know it's going to be like a lot of you. <laughs> and so it's like, oh yeah, cool. But I think the even greater question there is like, how many of you guys have had a, a bad day and then like another bad day and enough bad days that kind of made like a bad week, has anyone ever had that? You're like, what's, is bad week the right term? I don't know. And sometimes we not only have a bad week, we have a bad month, we have a bad year. These things happen, right? And I'm not talking like stub your toe bad day. I'm talking like a real bad day. Now, sometimes you can stub your toe and break it. That's like a, that is a bad day. I'll give you that. But th for the most part, I'm talking really bad days. And sometimes we can have a bad month, we can have a bad year. Some people have bad decades. And when we have back-to-back -back bad days, I, and I might be the only person, but sometimes we're left looking around wondering, like, like, what's going on? It feels like life is just kind of, like, 
stacking it against us. And we're like, well, it's Wednesday and it kind of sucks today, but maybe tomorrow will be great. And then it's not. And then we kind of go through that process and we're like, man, I just feel like all of this stuff. And we look around life and we're like, what's going on? Am I going to get a breather? Am I going to come up out of the water? What, what is going on in my life? And almost all of us, I feel like at some point have been in this kind of dark place, this, you know, however you want to like symbolize it, where enough bad days have stacked together that we feel like we're just in the depths of life and we're like, what is going on? I, I think of David when he said, you know, he talks a lot about this idea in the Psalms about being surrounded on every side, right? Like you live your life and it's a bad day and a bad day and you turn right and you're like, oh, there's something bad and you turn left. And it's just kind of this weird state that we can be in uh, with bad days. And when we're in those times, we ask hard questions. I... Those are the hard questions I get as a pastor, right? These are, when people are in these times, when I'm in these times, we ask hard questions. You know, why is this happening? Why would God allow this, right? These are like the, these are the real hard questions. And our natural instinct out of sometimes insecurity, man, I'm being like crazy honest this morning, um, <laughs> out of insecurity is to give like really simple answers. Like, well, we live in a broken world. <laughs> it's like, Okay, that is technically correct, but I don't know if that really like instills, like if I just, if I just ended it right there, like, yeah, we live in a broken world. Like, it doesn't really give us this profound sense of, of hope. It doesn't, it doesn't truly reflect the reality of what we're facing from an eternal perspective, right? It's just kind of a, a simple answer. And since everyone is going to face these dark times and the simple answers aren't enough, if everyone's going to be in some kind of pit, some kind of hard place, some kind of dark place, we have to ask ourselves, what do we do when we're there? Because if it's true, yeah, we live in a broken world, things happen, bad things happen. Okay, what, what do we do in that, in that situation? And what I love about Daniel 6, and, and as we explore Daniel chapter 6, is that he's this incredible example of how one could respond when in the pits, right? In dark places. When someone is in the darkest place possible in their life, how do we respond? And I love it because it's not just some simple answer. How many of you guys have ever like been in a dark place and someone comes and they like try to give like a reason to your dark place? Like, well, you know... Like, just have faith. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I know that's, that's, that's right, technically speaking. Man, I just want to, like, hit somebody in the face so hard. <laughs> I know that's maybe too real, so we'll cut that if we're recording it. We're probably not. Um, but I feel like, you know, when you're in this moment, you're in this dark place, and someone comes along, and they're like, well, you know, I think God's just trying to teach you to be patient. And you're like, oh, word. <laughs> like, like, we're about to fight. Like, this is going to happen. Like, if you say, well, anyways. So I, I think we're, we're stuck with this thing of, like, we can't have easy answers. We don't want just, like, pull out of our pocket, post-it note, respond answers, like, just have faith. Oh, now I feel better. But we have to have a real answer. And so when we look at Daniel, we see the life of how, or see the example of how to stay true to our convictions, stay true and faithful, even in the darkest times. And that's what I want to look at this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, open it up, Daniel 6, and we're going to walk through that in just a second. Um, but I want to give some context because we've walked through a ton of Daniel's life. And I think it's important in, in understanding chapter, chapter 6, we've got to understand his whole life. We've got to understand his, you know, his character arc, but, you know, he's a real person. 
And that Daniel is captured, right? He's taken from Jerusalem. He's brought uh, as, a, as a slave to Babylon, right? When he's younger, as a teenager. And so we see him when he's like 17. But now in Daniel 6, he's estimated to be about 70 years old. So we've, we, he's kind of, you know, dropped in and out. We've picked up at different points of his life. But now he's 70 years old. And And I say this because I use Daniel as a reference all the time to say, it does not matter how old you are, you will both face difficulty and have the opportunity for a testimony at any point in your life, right? Life doesn't really care how old you are if it's going to throw you curveballs. You could be 15 or you could be 55 or you could be 85, but at some point we're all going to face these things. And and I got to say here at Banner Church, I... We do not care how old you are. You are a part of the vision here. You're, you're called. God has a, has a will that you would do good things for the kingdom of God, that you would persevere. And so if you're here and you, like, follow us on Instagram, you're like, there's a lot of young people here. Like, well, you know, it doesn't matter. 17, 70, you're all part of the vision here at the church. That's a side note. That's free. <laughs> and something interesting that I think sets this scripture up that I, I want us to grab a hold of is how successful Daniel is. And if we read scripture, we're just like, yeah, you know, he, he was like in favor, then he's out of favor, then he's in favor. But I want us to really get this, is that Daniel, when he comes to Babylon, rises to basically running the kingdom of Babylon. Then he, you know, he, we don't see him for a while, then he kind of comes back in, he's consulting with the king. Um, you know, we go from Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar, we go through these like kings, right? And then the Medes and the Persians invade. And what we see in Daniel 6 is that he rises again to power. And we're like, oh, that's really cool. But I really want us to think contextually about this because I think it's important. Um, and the example that popped into my brain, and I know it's not a great example, but it's the one I have because this is how my brain works, is who has seen Red Dawn? Have you guys seen Red Dawn? Raise your hand if you've seen Red Dawn. It's the one, right? Perfect. They had a remake of it, so anyone, you guys, if you haven't seen Red Dawn, like the real, the original, you have to go see it. It's classic. But right in this movie, the Russians invade Colorado, uh, I think strategic nuclear reasons, um, and they invade, and then, you know, they take over America, right? So let's say that Red Dawn did happen, that the Wolverines never succeed, uh, but, you know, let's say this does happen. Good. I'm glad I picked a reference that 10% of the people know. (laughs) That's solid. Note to self, more stuff about... Larry Fitzgerald? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but so let's say they did succeed. Russia takes over. It, it wouldn't make sense to us technically that Russia takes whoever's the Secretary of State for America and says, you're now our Secretary of State. There, that doesn't usually happen. Normally, you don't, an invading army doesn't take someone who's in a really high position and is like, hey, let, why don't you run our stuff too? That's just not normally how it works. And so even though we might glance and be like, that's really neat, this is like historically miraculous. Just that alone should make us stop and think like, wow, something is really going on here. And so it's this kind of rise to power that sets up this whole scripture about Daniel. And I think that's important because it's not some random guy. It's not some person who's just kind of like living his life and feeling persecuted. This is someone who has risen to immense favor, but as we've talked about him the whole time, has never once compromised his convictions, right? David was a man after God's own heart, and yet David sleeps with a gal and then has her husband executed, Right? Daniel has been faithful the whole time. And so I want to give us this framework that what's happening here is highly unusual. And what we see in the jealousy of the other people is kind of 
Not surprising, so to speak. So let's read together uh, Daniel 6, 1 through 5. And I'm going to read that. Uh, it's on the screen. You can follow along. It says this. It says, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, or you could say princes, some translations say, or governors, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So Daniel was three, one of three people over 120 uh, princes. And the satraps were made accountable to them uh, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. It says, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find ground for charges against Daniel. I like that word, satraps. Against Daniel and his conduct of government and affairs. But they were unable to do so. It says they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, and here's where it gets a little crazy, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So Daniel right here, he's faithful. He's gifted. He's talented. He's above reproach. And the king favors him because he's like, wow, I don't want to lose money. I don't want to lose people. So he, he elevates him. And what happens here is jealousy creeps in because Daniel is not from the Medes or the Persians. He's not from this group of people. He's an outsider. And they begin to become jealous against him. And jealousy, man, when jealousy creeps in, it, it's a killer. I, I love this, uh, this proverb 27.4. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. It says, anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Have you ever felt that in life? You know, you, you get promoted maybe at your job or something, and all of a sudden people that you thought were with you, they were alongside you, they're like not talking to you anymore. And the talk that you do hear them say, you're like, why is it you're so mean? Like we were friends. Like I vouched for you in that meeting where you didn't fill out your, you know, report. Like you were, you were, you were friends and then you get promoted and there's jealousy. Or vice versa, have you ever seen someone get promoted and thought, wait a second, I've been here for five years, they've been here for nine months, and they're getting promoted, what the heck? And so what happens is this jealousy builds in and it says they could find no fault in him. But it, but it really specifically highlights that they did their digging, right? You know, they tracked down all of Daniel's old social media sites, right? They went all the way back to MySpace and they said, who's his top eight? If there's anyone weird in there, he's out, he's done. You know, they went back and they found old emails, old tweets. They dug up his like old AOL account that everyone had some weird kind of like guitar guy 22 at AOL. It was like never like Stephen Smith. It was like something super weird, like loves the Boston Bruins at AOL.com. Anyways, so they find his old AOL account, nothing there. They track down, you know, conversations. They try to work bribes. They try to see, is there anything in his life uh, that would stand to say he's above reproach? And this is a total side note because this is not what the sermon's even about. But I think it's important to know that when, when people come against you as a Christian, that they don't play nice, right? As they come against Daniel, they don't play nice. And what they do is they dig up anything they can find, and we just have to remember, can I say, what you do in the dark will be brought to the light. And also, from a technical point, everything you type in your phone, whether you send it or not, is recorded somewhere. 
So let that just sink in and provide the reality. You have written some text messages and Verizon has them, even though you never sent them. Um, I can send you that Google link. It's terrifying. Um, But all that to say that they dig and they dig. And I'm going to be honest. I don't even know if I could stand up to this level of like scrutiny. Uh, It's amazing that they're searching so much for something. But Daniel is so aligned, right, with Christ that people can find nothing against him. And so what do they do? They have to make up a law that's basically anti-faithfulness to God, right? They have to make up a law that is, that is evil, that is broken because he is not. And that should have probably stopped them mentally, but it doesn't because they're living in sin, is that they had to make up a law that was below reproach to get somebody who was above reproach, and that happens, right? They had to make up a law uh, that was a bad law. And I'm not going to read all of Daniel 6, but I'm going to summarize. It is basically the princes without Daniel go to the king, and they bring him this law that says, for the next 30 days, no one can worship any god except for you you know, oh, mighty King Darius. And they appeal to his pride, which is generally a good move with officials. You know, they appeal to his pride and they say, here, oh, great king, 30 days. And so he approves it. He says, yeah, that that sounds great. And they kind of speak for everyone, right? The princes say, we've all agreed to this, but they haven't, right? And that often happens that a group that is not not, not a majority group, but has power will go and they will pass a law and speak for everyone and say, this is for everyone. And they pass like a bad law. And, and I'm not saying something that's like foundationally like shocking. I feel like most people know this about our nation, any nation, that laws get passed uh, that aren't good laws. Like that happens. I mean, I'm not like being destructive on America. I'm just saying things happen. Um, and, you know, the, the world is broken. People are broken. They, they, they break things. It happens. They make bad laws. And so the question is now, they make this law that, that any person cannot worship God. They have to worship Darius. And Daniel's stuck. And I think he's stuck in a really fair place that a lot of us get stuck at in life. Is how do we maintain our convictions that we know, that we know, that we know are correct, that are truth. How do we maintain convictions that we know are true while also respecting authority? Right, Romans 3 tells us respect authority. But I think that there is a very real struggle there uh, that, that we cannot support a law that is counter to the truth of God, that the law of the Lord is above the law of the land, so to speak. But how do we do that in a way that doesn't tear down our witness as Christians? That's a big balance. And I think you could turn on the news and see good and a lot of bad examples of any side of that. In the book of Daniel, we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what we saw in their case is they had to choose to abstain from something that was legislated. And in the case of Daniel, he has to choose now, do I do something? Do I partake in something that has been ruled against? And so I want to read what happens because it kind of answers itself here. So Daniel 6.10, it says this. Now when Daniel learned 
that the decree had been published. It says, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And so what is Daniel's response? Because I feel like there's a lot of ways he could have responded to this, right? There's a lot of ways that you can respond. Now, his, his freedoms were obviously limited in that society compared to our society as far as like at what level he could um, come against a given law or legislation. But he, what does he decide to do? It says he decides to return to prayer, Meaning, right, at some point, this is not new to him. He's going back to what he has been doing. We see a, a faithful guy who's been faithful, who's lived faithful, that God has delivered. And what it's saying is he's returning to prayer. And I think, above all, Daniel understands authority. I want to clarify that. Is that Daniel has seen this before. That's why I love, man, I love hanging out. <laughs> I love hanging out with people like over 50 who, who get it because they've seen it before, and so they're wise. Like, if you're over 70, you and I, we can just hang, and I just want to, like, hear your patience in, in processing. Uh, because they're wise, and they understand they've seen it before. They're, they've been around long enough to know that it's God alone who can rescue in that situation. It's God who can, it's God who has, and it's God who will change the course of these events. And I want us to wrap our head around this this morning because I think it's so, it's so important is that if we truly understand prayer, if we truly understand the power of prayer, then choosing to seek God in prayer is not the weak option. If we truly believe that prayer is powerful, that it's everything we advertise it as, right, then, then going to prayer in trying times is the greatest option we have. And, and I kind of feel unfortunate because I, I love the, you know, uh, hashtag pray for Paris or hashtag pray for Charlottesville or whatever. I mean, those things are great. I like, you know, collective awareness. I think that's super key and important. I think, you know, that, that's nice. It's nice that people know people are praying. But somehow we have lost a little bit of our understanding that prayer is not sending well wishes to an area of the country. Prayer is standing in faithful, it's like spiritual battle for the hearts and souls of people and pick a city, pick a nation, pick a family, pick a person. Prayer is not me saying I'm giving up. Prayer is saying this is the most effective tool that I have for both uh, need, safety, political discourse, issues. This is my number one thing. I'm not going to the weak option. I'm going to the strong option. And I think it's important that we remember this morning that when we pray, right, we're not shirking our responsibility, but we're recognizing authority. And we're giving authority to God. See, when we're faithfully praying for our nation, I've been praying a lot for our country, um, you know, I can give you a million reasons why you should uh, pray a lot for our country is what we're saying is we're not saying we don't want to deal with it. We're just understanding that God has a greater authority. And I want to be super clear. I'm not like saying don't advocate good policy. Don't vote for people who actually like make good decisions and aren't crazy. Like I, I'm not saying like don't, don't when something's really bad, stand up for what you're saying. Obviously, I'm not saying any of that. That would be ridiculous. Like be good citizens and be 
and be faithful in that. What I'm saying is that if that is not rooted in prayer, it's not rooted in power, it's rooted in individualism. And so as long as I can stay hyped and connected, then it's fine. That's why a march goes for a couple days and then people tire out and they buy a different kind of hat and a different kind of sign and then they go do something else and then they yell about something else. But what I really care about is the security and faithfulness of this nation. And what I do is I root that in prayer because I'm saying the authority is not my authority, the authority is God's authority. So I take it off my shoulders and I give it to the Lord and I say, God, would you intercede for my family? Would you intercede in my life? Would you do a miracle in it? And, and situationally, right, I say, you know, if I'm having marriage trouble, I don't say, God, you know, take my marriage. I give it to you. And then I'm like, cool, I'm done. <laughs> I say, God, take my marriage. I'm going to work I'm going to work with everything. I'm going to, I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to believe for it. I'm going to work for it. But at the end of the day, I got to release the authority to you in my family for my daughter. I'm going to work as hard as I can to be a good dad and raise a good daughter. But you know what? There's a lot of people who've worked really hard and, 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 and they stand back and their kids are struggling. And my heart breaks in that because my desire is that my daughter would come to know Christ and would live faithfully. At the end of the day, if I don't root in her life prayer and in mine and give the authority to God, then it's really just as much power as I have. And as soon as somebody else more convincing comes along, I lose my power. Because really, we show in our lives our faith by perseverance, but the power comes from prayer, right? And so this is where they find Daniel, in like a very real place. They find him on his knees, looking towards Jerusalem. The symbolism of that really is this three times a day he's praying and he's looking towards the holy city. And though his heart is in this kingdom, or those bodies in this kingdom, his heart is in the promised land, right? His heart is where God said, if you would stay faithful, that's where you'll be. Sometimes we got to do that eternally, <laughs> that we feel like we're in the midst of a dark place. We open our heart and say, God, I, I look towards your promise. And so what happens is these men find him, they bring Daniel to the king, and the king finally at this moment kind of like realizes what he did. And it says in Daniel 6.14, it says, he tries all uh, he was determined to res rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. And I always find this interesting about kings. If you read any of the Bible, uh, you'll come across at some point some person, king, not king, random judge, somebody who at some point's like, yes, may God deal with me ever so severely if someone eats food today. They like make this like crazy claim or like all of these people will be killed because they just get so emotional and they get so ramped up and then they realize like, oh man, like I'm, you know, in Samuel, um, one of the most random stories is Saul. He's like, no one eats today. May God curse their family. He's just like, he's just going off. Like, no one eats or they die, you know. And then Jonathan, his son comes up, and he's got like a little bit of honey on the side of his mouth. And he's like, hey, what, what happened? He's like, yeah, well, I ate some honey. I mean, I wasn't here when you made the thing about the not eating. And he's like, dang it, because he didn't think about what he was doing. And this is what the king is, is in the process of saying. Uh, he didn't think about what he was really decreeing before he said it. When I was in the south, I was listening to this song, uh, and it said, uh, you got to put your mind in gear before you drive your mouth. And I like that. I like like full country music, so it works for me and my brain. Uh, but I think that there's real consequences. And I want to say, 
we have to think, and I know we're, you know, we're really learning from Daniel, but we learned something from the king here real quick. That is, do not decree anything with your mouth that your heart will not support. Meaning this. Sometimes we like to go to a media site or say it with our mouth or say it at work and we like to speak at certain people groups based upon uh, race, gender, political party, agenda. We like to speak at them and we like to declare things about them. And then when we actually meet somebody from that group and we realize that we're just people and we're all broken and we're trying to love on them, they go back and they go, hey, you can't untweet the tweet. You can't even delete it. It's there. And what you said about my people, it it applies still, and we've killed our witness. And that's what the king has done, is that he, he didn't know that Daniel was someone who worshipped God. So he made these decrees like, all Jews shouldn't worship. You know, I mean, all of this people group shouldn't do this. They're, they're dirty and they're filthy. And then he actually met someone, and, and he knew, oh, I actually love this person with all of my heart. You can fill in the people group there, you know, to, to your best liking. Uh, and so he can't go back. And so what does it say happens in Daniel 6, 16 through 18? It says this, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. That's just testimony right there. Uh, and 17 says, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not, uh, might not be changed, meaning nobody's going to mess with him. Then the king returned to his palace, spent the night without eating and without any entertainment uh, being brought to him, and he could not sleep. So Daniel's thrown in. And, you know, I was really researching, you know, okay, what does this lion's den look like? Because I'm always so curious about that. You know, did the, like, little felt characters get it right in, uh, in uh, Bible school? Like, who really did it right? Did VeggieTales have it? Who had it right? Um, and there's a lot of speculation. Is it a lion's den? Is it like a holding cell? You know, some people are like, oh, it's really like some neo-Assyrian motif describing, you know, how bad courts are. It's a lion's den. We're just going to go with pit or cave full of lions. For the sake of our understanding, I know you maybe went to Bible school and you got some really in-depth understanding, but I'm going with like pit or cave full of lions. And I feel like that really, that does it. That's fine for us. Um, And this place, regardless of its geometry, is dark. It's depressing. It's dangerous. It's a den of lions. I mean, that kind of sums it up right there. And at this point, I got to say, I would not blame Daniel if he just kind of lost it, right? Like at this point, you got to think, and I look at the life of Daniel, and I should maybe think about him more when I have hard days, is, you know, as a young person, his whole nation and family are destroyed. He's taken as a slave. He's in prison. Then he's elevated. Then he's forgotten. And then it's like, hey, tell me what my dream is or else I'm going to kill everyone you know. He's like in this roller coaster all the time, up and down and up and down. And so at this point, he's 70, and he's got to be thinking, at 70... Like, I'm in a lion's den? Like, have I not done enough? Like, seriously, like, how many bad days does one guy got to have before he's kind of, like, run out of bad days? There has to be some kind of, like, ending date. You can have 282 consecutive bad days, and then you're clear, you know, or something. There has to be something. We wouldn't blame him if he got 
you know, ah, the Lord and said, what, why does, you know, Mahaji down the road, he has everything. He doesn't serve you. He doesn't, he doesn't care for you. He doesn't serve at church. He's not faithful. He didn't raise his kids to love the Lord. But I've never seen him in a pit ever. He's got a dope boat, and he's out every weekend. And here I am in the hospital for the fourth time this year wondering where is God and what is going on in my life. Why am I here again in the same pit, another pit? What is happening? Right? Am I the only one that's been there? I was speaking too much truth for my own life. (laughs) People are like, wow, that's personal. Um, (laughs) But I think we get there sometimes as people. But Daniel does it. And I got to admit, that's got to be the most convicting thing in the whole scripture is that Daniel never does that. And I want to read what he does because it's challenging. It says in verse 19 through 23, at the first light of dawn, the king got up, hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lion. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, O king. So the king was overjoyed and gave the orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den... No wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. That's good, right? It's a little warm, so I gotta roll up my sleeves. Everyone took like a three second fan break. <laughs> Yay, new building. <laughs> it's good. Dana's not lying, it's hot. Um, so, what happens in the pit, right? And I want, to, I want us to get a hold of this idea. This is, this is really the big idea this morning. If you grasp anything, I want to get us. Be, because it's more to the story than simply Daniel was in a pit and then the king got him out. You know, like it's not about pits. It's about lions. But there's something greater than the message of like, hey, the world's, you know, tough. So suck it up and make it through, right? There's something greater that's happening here. Because what we see is this poetic and symbolic showing of God's authority. And not what it means just for Daniel, but what it means for us. That what we see in this moment is this, I I believe, this incredible poetry about what God is doing. See, what's in the pit? I mean, this is obvious, right? Lions. And there's hungry, angry lions in the pit. See, the pit itself isn't really dangerous. It's a holding cell, right? Right? Pits, they're they're places you're stuck in, you're trapped in, you feel locked in. You didn't put yourself in there, maybe made some bad choices. Uh, And obviously if that's the case, preclude that. But pits, a lot of the time we didn't put ourselves there. We were just there because of life and we're stuck and trapped, right? But inside the pit is a lion. In the case of Daniel, these are real lions. In our life, this is the enemy. I don't want to read... 1 Peter 5 8. I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come on up. 1 Peter 5 8 says, Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. See, the roar of a lion is a symbol of its authority, right? It's king of the jungle nature to roar. And 
And I love this beauty of this connection between uh, the, the New and the Old Testament. And that in Daniel 6.22, he says, the angel came and he shut the mouths of the lion. And, and I do appreciate that without the mouth of the lion, you know, he, he can't eat. But I have to be honest, if I muzzled a full-grown hungry lion and set him loose in here, you guys would be like, oh, that's fine. You know, a lion could kill you with more than its mouth, right? It, it's got giant claws and paws. Has everyone seen at the zoo when they jump up and they're like twice the size of my hand and the claws are like that long and they will mess you up. It, the mouth isn't the only thing that gets people. Sorry, that totally threw me off because there was like three keys of music going on. <laughs> you, you can't ever unbecome a worship pastor. <laughs> but I love uh, in this scripture that what it says specifically is it shuts the lion's mouth. It takes away the lion's authority. It takes away the lion's ability to consume. And I believe this is why the, the Bible makes this connection to, to what the enemy is, is, is saying. That the enemy is like a lion that dwells in our deepest, darkest places. And it's come to consume, to eat. It's come to take away life. It's come to, to take from us. It's come to, to do damage to us. But what God has done is he has shut the mouths of the lion. See, when you're in this pit, like let's say a pit of loss, this lion doesn't look like a lion, it looks like depression, right? When you're in a pit of loneliness, it looks like addiction. See, it's not necessarily just the pit that's dangerous, it's, it's the lion inside the pit. And what God is showing us in Daniel is that in the middle of these darkest moments, when the enemy comes and he's trying to take away your life, it's this, this wasn't a punishment for Daniel, this was an execution. And the enemy comes to kill and to destroy. And what God is saying is when this lion comes, I have the power to remove its authority in the pit. Does that make sense, church? Psalms 18.25 says, to the faithful, you show yourself faithful. See, Daniel had built this record of faith in his life. And so when he's in the pit, what he does is he falls back on this faith that he has. It says, when I was taken captive, I trusted in the Lord that he would sustain me, that he would provide for me. And what he did is he took me out of prison and he took me out of the dark place and he lifted me up. And then when I was older and the king came and he said, I'm going to kill all the wise men unless you tell me my dream. I stayed faithful to, the God, to God and he gave me vision and revelation and he spoke into my life and I was able to not only save myself but save all the wise men. And now that Daniel's in the pit, what he's saying is I look back on all these things and I return to prayer and I remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if he did it before... He can do it again. And so Daniel's faith is a continuation of a legacy. And if you build any legacy in your whole life, it should be a legacy of faith that says, I went through this pit and I went through this pit. And you know what I believed is when I go into the pit, when I'm thrown in, 
by the nature of a broken world, what I refuse to allow is the enemy to kill and to destroy in my life. And I stand on the faith that I have in Jesus Christ that says, I believe he can do it again. I believe that. I, I remember Katie and I, we were, we were in a, we were in a really dark uh, time in our life. And I remember having to choose to say, I believe that God can pull us from this pit. I believe that he can. And I was kind of saying it, maybe not fully believing. That's probably fair, yeah. Uh, but I was just trying to speak it out and believe because I said, I, I know God, I've seen God. I've seen God heal. I've seen God do miracles. And I believe that if he did it then because God is unchanging and that he's faithful, I believe that he can do it again, that he can do a miracle in this situation. You know, John 16, says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And I want to say this morning that whatever you're going through in your life, whatever pit you're facing, whatever pit someone in your family is, is in the middle of, there is a lion that is circling to devour them. But Jesus has come and said, I have conquered the greatest pit that has ever existed in human history of death, hell, and the grave. And I have given you victory. And so if you were, like scripture said, if you resist the devil, if you resist the enemy, he will flee from you. And I can't make promises about what pit you're going to be in in life because life is hard. But what I can promise is that God has given us victory over the enemy. God has given us victory over the devil, over sin that would try to come in. He's given us victory. Would you stand with me?